This show talks about books that feature mental health and mental illness topics. There are many books that include this topic, and my hope is that more and more people know about them because they help to decrease the stigma and help people not feel so alone in their struggle. I am your host, Robin Tamanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Kevin Peterson, licensed marriage and family therapist, who wrote the book, Chronic Hope, Families and Addiction. Hi, Kevin. Hey, how are you, Robin? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Good, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, yeah. I can talk about me all day long. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm excited. So um, so before we get started, I do like my guests to introduce themselves. So is there anything you want to say about yourself, who you are, what else you do that you want the listeners to know about you? Sure. Um, so uh, my name is Kevin Peterson. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Colorado and the state of Florida. Uh, I have an office in Denver, Colorado, and I have four folks that work for me there. And I have an office in here in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and I have another person that works for me here. And um, so I initially started uh, Peterson Family Counseling in April of 2014. And then about a year ago, I um, created the Chronic Hope Institute, which still Peterson Family Counseling is a function of the Chronic Hope Institute, but We've changed our focus, and our focus is that we work with families that are struggling with addiction and codependency and help them find recovery. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really <laughs> amazing. And so you've really, um, you've really branched out because you have like multiple different locations too. That's great. Wow. Yeah, a bunch of folks working for us, and we, uh, you know, we've also kind of really tried to blanket as much possible in the social media area. Um, one of our goals is to be able to provide as much information for free. Um, so we have a, we have our own podcast, and uh, we have uh, a YouTube channel, and uh, we have a Facebook group called. The, these are all under the Chronic Hope Institute name. Um, and let's see, well, we have our website, chronichope.us, and, and we just do, we try to flood people with as much information as humanly possible, and then the book we're going to talk about, and the other book that I wrote, and, uh, you know, our goal, honestly, is when people get into a little bit of a crisis with a family member that's struggling with addiction or alcoholism, we want them to be able to access information and sort of get a step-by-step -step plan of what to do and how we can help them. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all that. And what I'll do too is everything that you mentioned, um, I'll have that in the show notes and mm -hmm. on the uh, booksbetweensessions.com website. So the listeners can go and, and check out all your social media and the Facebook and the podcast. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Awesome. So let's get into it. I read, um, I read your book. Thank you. And it was, it's really good. It's like packed with a lot of really good helpful information and like actionable steps at the end of each chapter. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, we, uh, when, in writing that, that was the goal. <laughs> so there, you know, there's so many books about addiction and codependency and recovery and all that sort of stuff, but they tend to be very much um, like informational or therapeutic or that sort of thing. And what I was really hoping to do was give people direction, you know, focus and direction, like, you know, let's do this. I broke the book up into three categories and that's before treatment. And that's kind of like, you know, okay, my family member has a problem. What do I do? 
you know, and, and sort of the analogy, I like telling stories. So the analogy that we always use in that environment is, imagine you come home and your house is on fire and you call the fire department and they show up and they attach the hose to the trucks and they attach the hose to the fire hydrant and they turn on the hose, but they don't turn on the water into your house. And right before they turn the water on into your house to put the fire out, they stop and they look at you and say, so Robin, how does it make you feel to watch your house on fire? You know, so Robin, what does this make you feel like? What does this remind you of? Tell me your thoughts and your innermost feelings. And that's kind of what we get, we get taught as therapists. We're not taught to be like, here's what you do, you know, and people that are in that kind of crisis, they want an immediate solution. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't care how I feel. <laughs> I want my person to not die from an overdose or anything like that. You know, so what are we going to do? You know, and so really my goal is to give them an immediate triage and an immediate solution. And that's the first section of the book. And then the second section of the book is during treatment. Once we've addressed the person, gone through all the stuff, given them some options and opportunities and, and then held our ground and held our boundaries. Then in the second part, we really go to the family and say, hey, let's talk about how this happened and how we can make sure it doesn't happen again and how we can take care of the family. And then in the third part, it's about bringing everybody back together and reintegrating, and in, but doing it successfully so that change occurs for everybody. Yeah. I like yeah. the whole process. Yeah. 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 Well, and that comes from my personal experience. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up in Palo Alto, California, um, back when nobody knew where Palo Alto was. You know, <laughs> they were like, what? Where is that? <laughs> like, now it's like very well known. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was actually born at Stanford Hospital. I'm the fourth generation of my family to be from the Bay Area. My dad grew up in San Jose. My grandfather grew up in um, uh, Berkeley and my great-grandfather grew up in San Luis Obispo and so that is my home that is my environment um, but uh, so I, I, I grew up in the Bay Area and but uh, I grew up with a mom that had a prescription drug problem and and she was an addict and had mental health issues as well and so I know what it's like to be the family member and then around 13 I started using and drinking myself and I was like this is great I need more of this and took off to the races with that. And so now I'm a member of a, an addict household, an addicted family. And then I became an addict. And then when I was 26, my family um, circled the wagons and said, you have to quit or you can't be part of the family. And, and so I got sober on May 5th, 1991, when I was 27 years old. And, um, and I've been sober ever since. And then uh, in January of 2008, I went back to school at Regis University in Denver, and I graduated uh, in 2011 with a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So that story is, I know what it's like to be the family member. I know what it's like to be the addict who's using. I know what it's like to be the addict who's sober. And I know what it's like to be the mental health professional dealing with all that stuff. Wow. You know, all those things combined, like, I can imagine, like, how that is so helpful in being a really aware therapist for this population. Yeah, that's yeah. really significant. Yeah, I, I think it's really significant is that, you know, the families that I work with really, really one of the things they, they, they say repeatedly is 
I finally feel like I'm talking to somebody that understands, you know, that that's been through it, that gets it. And they, they read the book. I mean, I'm going to tell you almost always when they read the book, their first comment was, man, I wish I'd had this book five or 10 years ago. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's why I wrote it, <laughs> you know, to try to get it out there. And uh, because it really details the plan of what to do and how to handle it and how to take care of business. And, and I think a lot of times that's where the families are struggling is that they end up engaging with therapists, psychiatrists, doctors, priests, ministers, rabbis, school counselors, whatever. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those folks, but they just don't have the direct personal experience of what it's like to deal with this in the family situation and what it's like to deal with an addict. And, 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 and they don't have a plan. They don't have a direct linear plan of here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you too, for, for sharing your, your personal story. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. you're very Thank welcome. You. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get into some, to some of the stuff. I have some questions. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, how, how would someone know, I guess, if, uh, they maybe are thinking or maybe suspecting that their loved one or family member might be an addict, like, how would they know? That's a great question. And that's kind of like one of the first things that happens, right. Is the first phone call is like, I think my family member has a problem, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, and so there's a couple of things we take a look at. You know, um, the, the first part is what we, you know, so how I kind of answer that is I break it into, I break people that use drugs and alcohol into three categories. The first category is what we call social user. And that's someone that has a glass of wine or a beer, you know, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit here and there once in a while, no big deal. And then they're like, Ooh, you know, I can feel it. I need to stop, you know? Um, that's a social person. And then we have what we call sort of like a hard drinker or a hard user. And that's somebody that uses it, uses drugs or alcohol aggressively. But when they start to have consequences, okay, when, when their relationships start to deteriorate, their job is threatened, they're getting in trouble with the law, they're getting in trouble at school or work, um, their friends are bailing out on them, they can actually stop or moderate their behavior, you know, they can actually control it. And, yeah. and then we get into the final category, the addict and the alcoholic, and the addict and the alcoholic can't do that. You know, they might be able to put on a little bit of a show, um, but they cannot control it. And that the bottom line is that they're always going to go back to the drugs and the alcohol, no matter what. And, and they don't have that filter, they don't have that on off switch. Yeah. You know, and so what's the, the answer to your question is, if you're looking at your loved one and you're wondering whether or not you want to be able to take a look at it and see, well, you know, when they drink or use, can they control it or does it control them? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's really helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Cause it's a tough one sometimes to piece apart, but the way you, the way you clarified that, I think is super, super helpful. Yeah. yeah. And they've probably been seeing that for some time, you know, kind of, they could probably be able to tell like, oh yeah, I think they're, <laughs> yeah. they're kind of struggling to control it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the classic conversation with the individual is always like, well, I can quit whenever I want to. I'm totally in control. I'm like, okay, quit today. And, and they're like, well, I don't want to. And I'm like, well, no, what that's, <laughs> 
you just defeated yourself. Yeah. Let's see if you can quit for a week. Just don't use anything for a week, 100%, nothing for a week. And let's see how it goes. And, and you know, inevitably, if they're a social person, they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, like, no big deal. I don't care. You know, if they're a hard drinker, you're going to get some resistance or some flack and they may argue and fight with it. But if they're given a parameter from like, let's say your husband or your wife, you know, your significant other says, look, you know, if you don't get this under control, I'm out of here. You know, this is, we're done. And that, so then it's a question of, well, what's more important is the, are the drugs and the alcohol more important or is the relationship more mm -hmm. important? And, and, you know, the, the hard drinker can regulate, you know, the, the, the alcoholic or the addict can't, they just can't. Got you know? it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, what we want to be able to do is, by the way, this is part of the whole system that I created in, in family, the chronic hope families and addiction. And this is really a very important point because the next thing people say is, oh, well, you're just saying practice tough love. No, I don't believe in tough love. It doesn't work. What I believe in is saying, I'm going to set some limits and some boundaries and tell you what I'm okay with. And I'm going to offer you help. I have a solution for you. And, and you know, I've, I'm happy to help you get to the solution. I'm happy to help you get to where you need to be to have a better life. But I'm not going to stand by and watch you kill yourself. So you have to make a choice. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it sounds like, too, then that the way you just explained it is the family member or the loved one, too, has to maybe think about their relationship with the person, how they're going to help. And when it comes to that, um, does, does the loved one have to, or would it be helpful for them to do their own kind of work then on? Yes. And that's really more what we do. Our, our goal is really to work with the family members and the love and, and not, we're not really, we don't work with the addicts. I mean, we can, but our goal is really to work with the family and help the family to set up a, a system of boundaries. We look at three categories of the life. And the first one is drugs and alcohol. And it's simple, no drugs, no alcohol, you know, <laughs> easy, <laughs> you know, but then every boundary has to have like some teeth behind it. There has to be an accountability function, right? So the accountability has to be that we're gonna drug test and we're gonna do like breathalyzers on a regular basis. And then the last piece has to be what we call structure, which is consequences or rewards. So if you pass the test and you're clean, then everything's groovy and we're having good, everything, everything's wonderful. But if you don't, then there has to be a series of consequences available. And I don't mean that in like a mean, angry, shaming, punishing way, but there has to be, well, if you can't keep yourself clean and sober, then we need to get you care where that, to get you help with that. I'm, I'm all about helping people. I'm not about punishing people, you know? And so the first part is drugs and alcohol. The second category is work or school. So, you know, either you're going to school, you know, or I mean, I, a lot of times I work with people that it's their children they're concerned with, or you're going to work full time, you know, and, and then you're contributing to the family's financial situation. Um, and then the, the same thing, we're going to accountability is we're going to, you know, you're going to pay a paycheck in every week, or we're going to check your grades every week. Um, it's not micromanaging. We're not doing day-to-day -day micromanagement. We're not calling after you every day. It's just once a week, we're going to sit down. We're going to review the drug tests. We're going to review, you know, the, um, are you going to school? Are you turning your homework? Um, are you going to classes? You know, how are your grades? Or 
you know, did you get a paycheck? Did you show up to work? You know, and then the last piece is um, behavior within the family. And, and so behavior at home is really about taking a look at what are the what are the standards of behavior we have as a family? You know, no lying, you know, no hitting, you know, the stuff you learned in kindergarten, right? You know, <laughs> no cheating, you know, be respectful, be kind, do your chores, you know, da, 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 da. And um, so we're just going to lay out that plan. We call that plan A. And then we try that for, you know, a week or two or 30 days, depending on the situation, and we see how it goes. And if they can't handle plan A, then we go to plan B, and plan B is intervention and treatment. Got it. You know, and the way you explained it, too, is it sounds good, because, like, I would, and this is just like a guess, right? Yeah. So if, like, you know, parents or loved ones or family members call in, they're probably like at a loss. Like, what do I do? So having some sort of structure, at least even if starting with the plan A, I can imagine like how they're like, there's maybe some relief. Okay. Like we're just going to fall upon this right now to see how it goes. If not, they're probably like, what do we do? You know? Well, yeah, they're very chaotic when they first call. And it's just, it's like, you know, the world's coming to an end and they don't know what to do. And they've tried what generally what they've always done is sat down with the person and like begged them and tried to reason with them and tried to rationalize with them and explain to them or threaten them or you know tried to bribe them or anything along those lines and and those things don't work you know mm. and what you just got to do is be clear and concise you just got to be able to look at the other person and say hey look i love you um but i'm not willing to participate in this behavior anymore so um, going forward, in order for us to contain or to, to, to keep our relationship, you know, continue our relationship, these are the things that I need to see happen. And it's totally up to you. If you don't want to do them, that's fine. I'll respect your choices. But that means that we're going to be disengaging. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, it, and the other way, too, the, the addict, it also gives them, they know, like, what to expect as well. Right? It, it's pretty Everything's clear. transparent. Everything's yeah. on the table. Yeah. 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 About the plan B, <laughs> I think if, so, okay, this may seem like a really big question, but like, yeah, how okay. would, how would they know where to go? Or if it's like individual therapy, like how do they pick a therapist? Like what, how do they sure. know? So in plan B, um, well, I mean, part of plan a would actually be the therapy you know mm -hmm. plan b would be intervention and treatment and 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 the book in that set those chapters in the book we walk them through how to pick an interventionist how to pick a treatment center uh the things to look for for an, an, an individual therapist that's that kind of comes at the end actually when everyone's coming back together mm. um or in the middle um but that's we lay it out again just like we lay out plan a in plan b we lay out sort of the decision tree, you know, cash or insurance, you know, because it, the treatment costs about a thousand dollars a day, you know, inpatient treatment or more. So, and then the question becomes, you know, what kind of insurance do you have and does your insurance cover that? And, you know, so let's start looking at the facilities that are available and, and we try to educate people on the questions to ask. I mean, this is going to sound like a strange analogy, but it's like buying a car, you know, you have to walk in knowing what your requirements are you know, this is what I can afford. This is what I need. I need, you know, I need someone that's going to be able to do substance abuse and mental health. You know, I need someone that maybe is gender specific, uh, or maybe I need someone who's LGBTQ plus friendly, 
You know, I mean, those are all important items. You know, you don't want to stick a 75 year old woman with a bunch of 22 year old heroin addicts. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, you want to find a, 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 a group, a cohort that where they can actually feel like they're connected. And yeah. Yeah. And that's important to know. And I think too, um, I think us as therapists, we, we know kind of like, especially those of us that specialize in different things, we kind of know, like, if you have something in mind or like um, a particular thing you're working on, like finding someone in that area, whereas someone else who's like looking, you know, for treatment, there's kind of this general like, well, they could just tell, right? Like they'll just know, just kind of go in. But what you're saying, which is very true, is like knowing what your parameters are and what your needs are and then finding a match for that. That really makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. And it really is about being able to walk in with a basic idea and then, you know, having sort of a, a list of questions to ask. And, and ideally, you're doing this probably with the help of an interventionist. And the interventionist is the one that's going to kind of lead the show. You know, they're the ones that are going to kind of run the deal because they're going to walk in, sit everybody down and sit down with the person and say, look, you know, here's the deal. I've been brought in. You know, we're at the point like intervention. now. Intervention. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, rarely are they that is clean and easy, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it, and it's just about allowing them to do their job and run the show. And, and, and it works out really, really well. Um, and then, and then the really good part, I mean, there, so let's say we have a successful intervention and the person goes to treatment, then, then my job really kicks into overdrive is that digging into that family and teaching them about how the addiction has actually run the family system and and helping them to learn how to change that but not by changing the addict by changing themselves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i'm sure this might be running through the listeners mind right now why does the family have to do this? oh i know it's so unfair you know, <laughs> and I don't mean I'm not trying to be sarcastic. And that's a valid question. What did I do wrong? You know, here's the thing. And this is the key phrase to remember. You're not responsible for your loved one's addiction, but you are responsible for how you react to it. OK, so if someone, you know, and someone you love is, is, is sort of going down that rabbit hole of addiction or alcoholism and can't pull out. The odds are that you have probably, you know, ignored it, denied it, enabled it, you know, engaged with it, tried to negotiate with it. And, and I'm not saying it's your fault because it's not your fault by no means. But what you have done is sort of allowed it to coexist within the family structure. And what we got to do is going forward is take a look at that and, and understand why and where does that come from? And what, you know, what is the you know, what I hear a lot of times is, well, you know, I mean, he's a functional alcoholic. And, and I want to be super clear with you. I believe there's no such thing. You know, if someone is an alcoholic, when I look at the concept of alcohol, where they cannot control the amount of alcohol they drink, you know, and, and that their life has become completely out of control as well, that's not functional, you know. And then a lot of times when someone says, oh, he's a functional alcoholic, I'm like, well, how's your relationship with him? Well, we don't have one. You know, how's the relationship with the kids? There's no relationship with the kids. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, that's not functional. Right. You know, but, but the family is allowing that to happen, you know, and, and it's like, well, okay, hold on. We need, to, the family needs to take a stand. In my estimation, if you truly love someone, 
you're actually going to step up to them and say, hey, I love you and this is not okay. But I'm not shaming you and I'm not mad at you. I want to help you and let's find you some help. You know, but if they refuse the help, it's like, okay, well, then I'm going to have to put some distance between us. Yeah. And I could picture too, like, while the person is in their treatment, right, wherever they are, and at some point, they're going to come back home. And that's yeah. the final phase is the reintegration process is when everybody comes back together. And, and we want to be able to have the family operating differently, right? So people are, are not doing the codependent behavior patterns. They're not being passive aggressive. They're not people pleasing. They're not doing denial. You know, they're not doing the, the standard stuff of, you know, triangulation and talking about people behind their back, but never saying anything to their face, you know? Um, we, so we want to work on the family while the individual's in treatment. And the individual in treatment is working on their stuff as well. So that when we all come together, we're actually, we're healing together as a family. You know, it's not this, it's all your fault. It's, hey, you know, what we realize is we to get, as a group have to learn how to do things differently and, and, and make this work better. Yeah. And then I would imagine when they, when the person comes back home, there's that practice of that, probably the things that they've been talking about and trying to work on on their own. And then now they get that. That's the opportunity, I would think, for them yeah. to really practice all that stuff and see how that goes. And yeah, and, and vice versa. You know, yeah. that's a, it's it's and it's really about you know. Here's my other. I, I love acronyms and phrases. I I just that's my stuff. You know, um, consistency, accountability, and transparency. And consistency is doing the same thing over and over again. You know, and and in a positive fashion. Meaning, you know, so let's just take the concept of. Hey, you know what? I think I need to go to the gym. I want to get in better shape and get my health better and lose weight. Okay. Well, consistency is you got to go to the gym or exercise regularly. You know, you got to eat differently. You got to eat healthy regularly. That's consistency. Same thing over and over again. Accountability is you got to have somebody that you're talking to about this. You got to have somebody that you're sharing this with and engaging with. And I don't mean reporting into like a parole officer. I just mean somebody that I'm like, hey, I just want, I mean, you know, I went to the gym three times this week and man, I really felt good and I was doing a pretty good job eating and I just wanted to share that with you. And mm -hmm. somebody that's just going to be very neutral to you, like, oh, that's great. Yeah, and here's what I'm doing. Kind of like a back and forth thing, you know. And then transparency is really critical, especially in this family system that we're talking about. And transparency is that there are no more secrets. You know, we're going to put all the cards on the table and we're going to let things just be what they are and who they are and where they are. You know, and, and, and that way we, that's, a, that's an incredibly healthy way of living, you know, and it, and it requires people to really go after their stuff individually so that they can be a part of the collective, a part of the family, you know, so healthy families come from healthy individuals, healthy individuals work on their stuff. Everybody has stuff. Yeah. Like it's like full circle. Everything just comes back around. Right. I, yeah. 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 <laughs> it really does. I mean, that really is the reality. just the reality of the situation is that it's always going to come back to, you know, being part of the family and engaging as the family and the family trying to do better as a group, not just pointing out individual people. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And the great thing too, is that there is hope, right? Yeah. yeah. There is hope for change. Like you said, new responses and ultimately, you know, it comes from a good place, right. Of coming together 
being with the family, but helping them, helping each other, having a new way of being with each other. I mean, those are all great and amazing things. Like what a great opportunity, you know, for everyone actually. Right. You know, and the whole idea there is that everybody gets a chance to get better individually. And then in that process, we get to better, we get, we get, we all get healthier collectively, you know? So we start interacting with each other on a healthier level and we start sort of being really supportive of one another, engaging with one another and not using the old patterns of shame and guilt and manipulation and back talking or hiding, you know, that sort of thing. We got to get rid of that stuff. You know, we got to get to the point where people are just being, hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I am. And, you know, I love you. And and let's let's just move forward. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea. Ideal, right? (laughs) So is there anything I didn't ask about that you wanted to, (sighs) to discuss or share with the listeners? Oh my gosh. Uh, let's see. So we talked about the three sections of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about, well, one thing I would say that I think is really important for the listeners to understand that there's a huge difference between uh, marijuana and alcohol and the, the level of street drugs that exist today. So when we're talking about marijuana and alcohol, I tend to be a lot more open-minded into the concept of let's take a couple of weeks or maybe a month and see get plan A moving and see how, see if we can get some traction, make things better. And that's why drug testing becomes so critical because when you do drug testing at a facility, not at home, um, what you get is a a data point readout of of numbers, not just a positive negative, you know, what we get is how much they're using and how often they're using, you know, and it's critical to know that so that when we start measuring them on a weekly basis, if we you know, we want to see the numbers coming down, right? Because a lot of, sometimes drugs stay in your body for a long time, like marijuana can stay in for a month. But when it comes to like heroin, opiates, meth, cocaine, um, benzos, that sort of stuff, I have a really short fuse policy. It's like, hey, you know, we got to get in on this fast because people die. You know, that stuff, fentanyl, all that stuff, people get mm-hmm. killed really quickly, you know, and I don't want that to happen. And you know, that's honestly where this comes from is my mom actually died in 2014 of long-term prescription drug use. And when I went to the hospital, she had three heart attacks and she was in the ICU and they had her on, they, they were just keeping her alive on the machines. And when I got there, the, the, the doctor was like, I'm so sorry, there's just nothing I can do. And I was like, yeah, I know it's okay. I mean, I get it. And he's like, really? Because your your dad's over here in the in the IER or in the waiting room, and he is just like, I can't believe this. This is such a surprise. And I said, uh, you know, I I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate that. And you know, I said, you know, look, I just, I'm a therapist. This is all I do. And, and and I said, you know, I I confronted my mom years ago and was told to mind my own business. And 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 I said, this is not this is I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I'm sad. I'm deeply saddened. And, and he's like, okay, okay, now I understand better. I want to help families avoid that situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I hate the fact that I see people all the time, you know, <clears throat> watching people go down this hole of addiction and, and, and never like trying to reach down and grab them and say, hey, I'll help you if you want help. You know, I'm here for you. But if you don't want the help, that's okay. But I just, we got to understand that means we're not going to engage, you know. And, and giving them a, a, a concrete plan to follow 
and steps to follow. And, and I know it's hard. I mean, it's really hard and I get it, you know, but I think it's important that families are given an option and given an opportunity. And that I think it's also important that they're given an option and opportunity from someone that's been through the process, you know, personally and family-wise and professional-wise, you know, um, and, and I think it's important that they see that and get that. And, and also, I think it's important that it's affordable. You know, the books are $10, the, 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 the podcast, the social media, the videos, those are all free. You know, working with my staff or myself, yes, yes, you have to pay by the hour. But, you know, it's not $20,000. It's a couple hundred dollars an hour, you know. Right. Yeah. And the, you know, going off what you said, thanks for you know, sharing your story about your mom. Like, is this, that's the scary thing is that like, the end could be death, right? Well, that's the thing. And I want to be clear. It's really interesting. I was in a, I, I, I broke my cardinal rule and I responded to a Facebook conversation <laughs> that I really, I, I have this Sorry. sort of like, I won't do that because it just, you end up getting sucked into this black hole of argument. But this, this person had, I was on a, it was on a therapist's Facebook page said, um, what's worse, addiction or depression? And it really saddened me that the overwhelming majority of therapists that responded said depression. And so I said, no, it's addiction. And, and the guy was like, why? I said, because if you don't treat addiction, the client will die. And he said, well, haven't you heard of suicide? I said, everyone that has depression doesn't end up trying to kill themselves. Everyone that has addiction will end up dying from the addiction sooner or later. That's just how it works. Yeah. And, and I said, the, and I was thinking the fact that that was that guy's response told me everything I need to know about his knowledge and understanding of addiction. And again, I don't criticize him for that. I'm saddened that our industry, that our colleagues are not more aware yeah. of addiction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as someone who in my private practice, I specialize in depression and bipolar disorder. So I will second you on that and that no, like, depression doesn't always lead to suicide or death. Yeah, I mean, I worked my first three years out of grad school, I worked on a crisis response team where I did respond to suicidal clients that were in the ER, you know, and and would, you know, would find treatment for them, find facilities. It was was kids under 18. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we'd roll them back home and then go into the home and do family therapy at the home and change the family system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. turned out that was the most successful way to stop 16 year olds from trying to kill themselves was change the family system. And, uh, and so that's where I kind of learned that concept and learned that idea that, you know, if you want to change the individual, change the family system, change where they come from and how they work and how they interact with each other and their support system. And that's where you see the most success. And um, but, you know, I got it that, that, that people that were, may, I mean, and a lot of times, obviously, uh, kids, uh, when they make suicidal statements, you know, and, and say, oh, I'm going to kill myself, they automatically get sent to the ER. You know, that's just straight over. And I understand why, because we don't want to take that chance, you know. But when you're 14, 15, or 16, the odds are you don't really have the emotional vocabulary. And, and, the, and, and the emotional bandwidth to understand the difference between I want to kill myself and God, I'm just feeling completely overwhelmed and defeated. You know, I, there's a lot of adults that don't have that capacity. So, you know, I get it. Yeah. But, but when it comes to addiction, 
you know, one of the things we say in recovery is that the addiction always wins, no matter what. The addiction always wins unless you turn to recovery. Yeah. The addiction will always win unless you turn to recovery. So yeah. I want people to, I want, I just want to help people. You know, that the bottom line is at the end of the day, I want to help people. And that's why all our information is free. Yeah. And, and you're doing that in multiple different avenues for sure. I hope so. I <laughs> sure hope so. Great. Well, I'm going to wrap up. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. This was so helpful. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm had so much fun getting to know you and, and I had, this is the topic that I could just talk about forever. Yeah. And yeah, you come back. Yeah. Well, I have another book. Yeah. Which I did receive. <laughs> So thank Yay, you. I, uh, I went to my PO box um, yesterday. Cool. So I go every once in a while. So I got it. So I'm going to read that. So yeah, you're always welcome back. Okay. Um, and, and like I said, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to list all your social media handles, your website, um, the podcast, which is also called the Chronic Hope Institute, you said, right? Yep. So I'm going to list that. And then that way our listeners can just um, click on it on the show notes or on the website. Okay. Absolutely. So, Thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure having you on. This was fun and informative. Yeah. Yeah. It was my pleasure and I'm honored and thank you so much. (laughs) All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, please be sure to share this episode with them. Resources mentioned on this episode can be found at the podcast website, booksbetweensessions.com. The social media handles and website for today's guest is listed in the show notes and on booksbetweensessions.com. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram, Books Between Sessions. I post multiple videos and lives every month, so be sure to follow our Instagram so you can see extra content. And if you have any book suggestions or books you would like discussed on this podcast, please send us a message on the contact page of the podcast website, booksbetweensessions.com. If you're an author who has written a book that includes mental health or mental illness topics and would like to be a guest on the podcast, complete the form on the Be on the Podcast page of our website. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.